Hello, hello and welcome to You, Me and the Economy. A lot has happened in the world of finance and economy this week. On one hand, we have Sri Lanka hit with an unprecedented economic crisis, while on the other, we have another scam brewing in our own backyard. Here is your weekly roundup of economy and finance. To begin with, our southern neighbour Sri Lanka is going through its worst economic crisis since 1948 when the country gained independence. The prices of essential items like food, fuel and medicine have skyrocketed. A kg of rice is costing as much as 500 Sri Lankan rupees while sugar is 290 rupees. The inflation had surged to 15.1% in February itself. The country's debt-to-debt-to-GDP ratio was 119% in 2021. The heavily import-dependent nation is left with just $2 billion in reserves. This means Sri Lanka is not able to import even essential commodities. The country has a trade deficit of $10 billion, the root cause for the drop in its forex reserves. Sri Lanka has a foreign debt obligations of $7 billion including 1 billion worth of sovereign bonds to be repaid by July this year. The collapse of tourism industry contributing nearly 10% to its GDP is also a reason for this fiasco. The pandemic coupled with the 2019 Easter bombings led to a fall in tourism revenues from 7.5 billion in 2019 to 2.8 billion dollars last year. The pandemic coupled with the pandemic coupled with 2019 Easter bombings led to a fall in tourism revenues from $7.1 billion in 2019 to $2.8 billion last year. To make matters worse, a blanket ban on chemical fertilizers by the administration last year crippled the agriculture sector with tea cultivation and its export, one of the mainstays of the economy getting affected. In September last year, Sri Lanka declared an economic emergency to control food supply amid soaring inflation. The country had devalued its currency and imposed import curbs on many items to prevent further depletion of its forex reserves. It had also partially revoked the fertilizer ban. The island nation had approached the IMF for debt restructuring and a possible bailout. The next few weeks would be crucial as the IMF Article 4 report to be tabled in the Sri Lankan parliament says that fiscal consolidation necessary to bring debt down would require excessive adjustments over the coming years. India and the UAE has signed a free trade agreement last month. For the first time, India has opened up the central government procurement market to the UAE. Experts say that this may open up a Pandora's box with demand for similar commitments in other FTAs as well. In real terms, this will give national treatment status to UAE companies, placing them at par with Indian companies while bidding for central government tenders. This has raised concerns in several quarters. Public procurement as a percentage of GDP is estimated to be about 20%. For a $3 trillion economy, this amounts to public procurement to the tune of $600 billion annually. Central public sector enterprises are a major contributor to the public procurement of works, goods and services. Last week, India and the UK concluded the second round of negotiations towards a bilateral free trade agreement in London. They discussed a draft treaty text across most chapters that will make up the pact. Following discussions in 64 separate sessions covering 26 policy areas, both countries have decided to carry forward the negotiations next month in India.
while these stocks continue conversations with canada australia and the gulf cooperation councils are ongoing but the government procurement clause in the deal with the uae could very well set a precedent and open the floodgates for similar demands from other nations as well kutch needs to get ready for another toxic plant the adani group is planning to set up another mega plant in mundra with an installed capacity of 2 million tons per annum to manufacture pvc from coal The proposed location for the plant lies in the center of a coal handling Adani port, Tata Ultra Mega Power Plant and Adani Thermal Power Plant. The port and these two mega power plants have already wrecked the coastal ecology of the region. Fisher folk and farmers are the worst affected communities due to warm water and chemicals dumped on the coast and increased salinity in groundwater. In 2013 the Sunita Narain committee formed by the Ministry of Environment and Forest to examine the violations and non-compliance of environmental guidelines by Adani Port and SCZ Limited in Mundra found serious instances of violations that caused the destruction of coastal ecology and the livelihoods of people. The committee also recommended that the Ministry of Environment and Forest should do a comprehensive study on the cumulative impact of all projects in the Gulf of Kutch. It also said that the clearances for future projects should be based on cumulative impact assessments alone. The Gujarat Ecological Commission in 2014 also released a framework for cumulative impact assessment in the region. However, neither has the Sunita Narain Committee's recommendation been implemented nor the Gujarat Ecology Commission's framework put to use. The proposed coal to PVC plant will use 3.1 million tons of coal per year. The coal will be imported from Australia, Russia and other countries. At a time when the world is striving to move away from coal and fossil fuels, this large plant is an attempt to find a second life for thermal coal. While the company is in the process of getting clearance from the Environment Ministry, the local people have been opposing this plant due to its toxic nature. They are worried about the impacts it will have on the coast, marine ecology and people's livelihoods and their health. Here is another scam with public money. Another instance of squandering public money in the name of insolvency has emerged. The Amatech group of companies that took a loan of 21000 crores from Indian banks has been put on sale for a mere 4100 crore. The IBC was brought to tackle NPAs, but what we are seeing is a trail of shady haircuts at the expense of public money. Alok Industries got a haircut of 83% and Reliance got to buy it at 17% of its original value. Public sector banks have accepted haircuts as high as 94% to let off the biggest corporate defaulters. The Parliamentary Standing Committee on Finances report on the Insolvency and Bankruptcy Code had criticized the IBC for disproportionately large and unsustainable haircuts, citing Emetic and such others as clear instances of diversion of creditors' money. The opposition has called this institutional corruption. There is a demand for a white paper on the insolvency cases. GST compensation amounting to 53,661 crore is yet to be released to the states for the current fiscal ending March. This is happening when the GST compensations are scheduled to end this June. The Chhattisgarh CM has recently written to his counterparts in 17 states to demand the extension of GST compensation for another 5 years. He said that the autonomy of states on tax policy has been eroded owing to the GST regime and without the extension it would not be possible to meet the cost of public welfare and development. So the demand is 
till the time the states recover from the pandemic and until the purported benefits of GST are realized for real, the compensation be extended. Rather than paying the states their dues, the ruling party has expressed its displeasure on this demand. Thanks for listening to this episode. For more stories and insights, check out our website www.senfa.org. This was all this week. We'll see you next week. Until then, keep listening to Yumi and the Economy.